Hello, and welcome to episode six of Deepak Cast's documentary, Factor Fiction. This is the latest series we're presenting as part of our Deepak Cast series, a podcast series we present here from the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center at the University of Notre Dame. My name's Ted Barron. I'm the executive director of the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center. I also teach a class on documentary film this semester, which examines questions about documentary representation, how we perceive the limits of documentary film, and what alternatives we, uh, we might consider through different approaches to documentary. This week, we're going to be looking at two films. Uh, the first, Reassemblage, uh, came out in 1982 and is directed by Trin Min Ha. The second, The Ties That Bind, was directed by Sue Friedrich and was uh, originally released in 1984. These are two films that uh, provide alternatives to more conventional forms of documentary um, by using techniques that we would probably best associate with the essay film. Um, and by essay film, I mean films that offer a kind of an element of personal reflection uh, typically on, well, actually it can be quite varied. It can be very personal in terms of the uh, uh, individual reflection that we get or um, can be something more generally speaking to kind of larger social issues. But in the case of essay films, uh, they often use uh, reflexive techniques, techniques that make us aware of a film as it's being constructed. Uh, but in this case, it's not necessarily uh, a technique that's used to kind of discredit or, you know, disavow certain types of documentary film, really just to suggest some new possibilities. Um, now, it's not to say these films are without a point of view. They're very – they're actually quite pointed in their approach. Uh, but both filmmakers and both films are a reflection of kind of uh, traditions of uh, both documentary and actually more experimental film techniques – um, which are which don't necessarily presuppose uh, a kind of normalcy of of a kind of filmmaking. It actually is you know the idea is to kind of create something that's very uh, particular to a filmmaker's voice. So I'm going to start with um, to kind of set the table for this uh, a quote from an essay by Trin Min Ha uh, that she published in 1990 titled "Documentary Is Not a Name," and it reads: "There is no such thing as documentary." Whether the term designates a category of material, a genre, an approach, a set of techniques, this assertion, as old and as fundamental as the antagonism between names and reality, needs incessantly to be restated, despite the very visible existence of a documentary tradition. In film, such a, a tradition, far from undergoing crisis today, is likely to fortify itself through its very recurrence of declines and rebirths. The narratives that attempt to unify, purify its practices by positing evolution and continuity from one period to the next are numerous indeed, relying heavily on traditional historicist concepts of periodization. So I thought this would be an interesting way of kind of introducing us to the work of Trin Min Ha, um, who's noted in part because of the fact that she's uh, very well established as a filmmaker, uh, but also as a critical theorist and has written extensively not only about cinema, but numerous topics um, in, her, in her critical work. Trin Minh Ha was originally born in Vietnam, emigrated to the, uh, she emigrated to the U.S. during the years of the Vietnam War, 
um, and originally um, trained in music composition. She had studied in Vietnam uh, to become uh, a composer, essentially. Uh, but her, uh, she gradually sort of branched out in her interests, uh, taking up uh, coursework in, in uh, comparative literature, um, and then eventually uh, moving toward uh, the realm of filmmaking. Um, over the past 40 years, she's produced a remarkable body of work, um, a series of films which, you know, which are fairly consistent in a kind of essayistic mode. Um, and that includes the film I'll be talking about more closely, Reassemblage, uh, as well as films like Surname Viet, Given Name Nam, and A Tale of Love. Um, in terms of her in terms of her work in critical theory, um, she's published numerous books, including Elsewhere Within Here, Frame or Framed, When the Moon Waxes Red, and Woman Native Other. Uh, until recently, she served as a faculty member in both gender and women's studies and rhetoric at UC Berkeley, but I believe she is now uh, Professor Emerita at Berkeley. Um, so we we wish her all the best in her. Uh, in her retirement years, and hopefully that's giving her more time to keep making interesting films and keep writing really fascinating uh, books about whatever whatever she might find of interest. Um, so, but we're going back 40 years uh, for uh, Reassemblage to 1982. This is a film that um, she kind of frames as a reflection on ethnographic filmmaking. If we think about ethnographic filmmaking as uh, a practice in which uh, typically Western um, artists or you know uh, scientists will go into um, regions of the world, other regions of the world, uh, you know that are some that are unfamiliar, kind of discover these places through um, through a filmmaking process, um, meet uh, 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 people who are indigenous to certain regions, and try to present some sort of. Um, study of that of that experience. Uh, the film Reassemblage, uh, as the title might suggest, tries to kind of reconsider that approach and 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 offer an alternative uh, mode of representation. So the footage that we see within the film was shot by Minha in the in a rural community in Senegal. And one of the notable aspects of the footage that she shoots within the film is that it almost exclusively focuses on women. So when you know ethnographic studies are done, there's often a focus on hierarchies and kind of um, how systems are ordered within uh, different communities. This uh, this film um, hones in on the on representations of women, young, old, um, you know, in in different uh, in different functions within the community, and tries to present uh, their experience in a way that um, doesn't necessarily give us a deep understanding of what it's like to be a woman living in this village, but certainly um, gives uh, more attention to the experience of, of, uh, of this particular group of women. Um, the, the footage itself is actually accompanied uh, by uh, voiceover narration, which Minha herself recorded, recorded and uh, raises questions about how we, um, how when we're uh, watching a subject such as this, um, how we w might typically try to have a kind of detached position that allows for a perception of objectivity which she recognizes as kind of impossible in this process. Again, it's not a negation, it's just, it's just an acknowledgement of you know, the positioning that we have relative uh, 
to uh, to the film subject uh, puts us in uh, puts us you know kind of at in a, at a distance uh, in a way that we have to sort of think about um, our own subjectivity as well as as well as that of the subject itself. And and part of how she gets to this is through um, some very uh, deliberate framing choices. Um, so instead of giving us a sort of long shot view of what life is like in uh, within the village, um, and kind of giving us you know the the sort of illusion of a kind of complete perspective on this uh, community, she often uh, presents things in very disjointed ways. She uses a lot of extreme close ups. Um, a lot of jump cuts, uh, which not only challenge our more kind of conventional viewing uh, practices, but um, but sort of uh, emphasize the, the the level of scrutiny that are often given to documentary subjects. Um, Minha notes that these these kinds of choices are, are often incorporated to remind us of you know the fact that when a filmmaker is approaching a subject like this, that it's often a very voyeuristic process, and so these uh, these framings uh, serve to kind of reinforce that those kinds of choices. Um, she also plays around with eyeline matches. If we think about in uh, kind of con- more conventional film language, eyeline matches are often these. Um, very unnatural connections uh, that are made that are made to look seamless. So, if you if you think about film language, we might see you know say a longer shot of a girl and her dog in a particular shot, you, and then you'd cut to a close up of the girl and then a close up of the dog to suggest that the dog is within um, within the girl's line of vision. But in this case, she intentionally disrupts those eyeline matches. So we see in one shot, uh, it's interestingly, it's a shot of a younger woman who's looking, uh, you know, what it seems like is off, off camera. And then that's followed by, a sh- by an image of a dead animal, which is actually not part of her field of vision. So trying to make these sort of question how we um, make these assumptions about uh, connections between images that are actually quite uh, quite disparate from each other. Um, the term she the the quote that's often associated with this filmmaking process that she uses in the, in this particular work is how she uh, tries not to speak about the subject but to speak nearby the subject in her film, offering uh, a kind of direct challenge to the more Eurocentric forms of anthropology. Um, which you know try to suggest that through a particular set of choices and, and approaches, that there is a way to get to a, a more complete representation of a particular subject. But in this case, it's um, it's much more um, you know it, it's it's sort of recognizing that you know while she was there with these subjects to film uh, the footage that we see within the film, it's never uh, we're never going to get that kind of that kind of complete representation. Um, it, 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 it sort of aligns both um, a, a feminist perspective and a post-colonial uh, res, uh, uh, response, essentially, to that ethnographic um, approach. We, if we think about, you know, Minha as uh, one of the uh, as an emergent as part of an emergent group of women filmmakers in the 1970s and then into the 1980s, who were kind of reframing a lot of uh, conventions of cinematic language in general. And I would say that in the case of both of these films that we're considering this week, there's a there's a interest there's an intersection of experimental filmmaking and documentary filmmaking, um, but that when that's framed through a feminist perspective. 
um, we get um, we d- we get different kinds of representation. Whether it's just the focus on women that we see within within this film, or um, the way in which you know the the director's perspective is informed um, by you know, aspects of feminist theory. But it also offers a post-colonial response um, in recognizing that there is a particular set of issues that that emerge with Western uh, filmmakers or, or, you know, in the case of uh, anthropology scientists going into study subjects. Um, she she describes the, the film as being uh, a response to a conversation of Western men talking among themselves. So rather than a, a real engagement with um, the subjects, um, we see this. We, we see things at a much more from a much more distance perspective. One one perhaps opportunity that you know, we don't see within the film, which would seem to reflect uh, the interests that Trin Minha suggests, is that the subjects them don't get to sort of film themselves while they're uh, while she sets up a process in which the subjects are very comfortable being filmed, and we just kind of observe, you know, as, what we see as kind of daily activities of their lives within this village. Um, we um, we don't necessarily see them kind of shaping that image, but um, but perhaps that's why she calls it kind of speaking nearby, um, as opposed to you know something that's uh, that offers a, an even deeper level of engagement. Um, the film, uh, you know, Minha has written extensively about her own filmmaking, but also um, you know kind of these practices in general. And there's a really great interview that was conducted. Uh, many years ago by uh, Constance Penley and Andrew Ross, and they suggest that the film might just as well be about the act of looking at the women of the, vil- of the, of the village as it is about their lives. So kind of seeing them more in, in terms of their uh, kind of surface qualities as opposed to getting that, you know, that perception of, of deeper understanding, which, you know, which would seem to be consistent with uh, what Minha tries to achieve through this approach. So it's a really fascinating um, study, uh, a film, you know, a film that kind of pushes us back into thinking about how we um, construct images in the process of of viewing these kinds of films and opens up uh, opens up some interesting questions about documentary in general. Um, The second film that we're looking at is uh, by Sue Friedrich. Uh, Sue Friedrich is a a, a filmmaker who's made over 23 films and videos and has established herself as one of the preeminent um, experimental filmmakers of the last 40 years. It's hard to say whether she's more closely aligned with experimental filmmaking or documentary filmmaking um, because her work is is a real kind of – it's a true intersection of those two kind of tendencies within – uh, within film history, um, but over the la- but it, but also working over a period of about forty years, um, she's made films like Hide and Seek, First Comes Lo- First Comes Love. Uh, her film Sink or Swim from nineteen ninety was uh, recently added to the uh, National Film Registry by the Library of uh, run by the Library of Congress. Uh, one of my personal favorites of hers is a film uh, titled Rules of the Road, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about in terms of you know the kinds of uh, films that. Uh, that Friedrich makes. Uh, but she's currently a professor of visual arts at Princeton University. Um, she teaches courses in video production uh, and documentary uh, production and, and in other areas. But interesting, an interesting side note about Friedrich is, you know, relative to our uh, sort of podcast series is that she's been working in collaboration with Louise Greaves, who's the widow of William Greaves, who we talked about in our episode 
on Symbiopsychotaxiplasm Take One. Uh, she and Louise, Sue and Louise, have been working on uh, creating a website uh, to honor the legacy of filmmaker William Greaves, which is currently available. If you go to williamgreaves.com, you can actually find a lot of information about, uh, about him. Uh, but they, uh, she, she recognized uh, Greaves' significance within uh, the history of filmmaking and, and wanted to make those resources available so that more people could know about his work. So The Ties That Bind is her film from 1984. I'm going to call it her first feature film, even though feature films are typically defined as being, you know, at minimum 60 to 75 minutes in length. This is a, uh, this runs 55 minutes, so it's a little bit short. But if we just think about it relative to the, the her earlier work, um, she had directed a couple of shorter pieces prior to this, um, films that run about any, anywhere from 5 to you know, 20 minutes in length. Um, but this is, you know, this is her her first attempt at a kind of longer format, um, and still relatively short in terms of the realms of feature films. Uh, but it centers on a series of interviews uh, she conducted with her mother. Her mother was an, uh, had emigrated from Germany um, to the U.S. Uh, after World War II, but during the war she was uh, living in Germany and under under the rule of the Nazi Party. And so we, uh, within, within uh, uh, the interviews that she conducted, we get to learn about what that, what that experience was like for her mother. Um, so the inter- some interesting techniques that are used, the questions themselves are presented, the questions that uh, Sue Friedrich asks her mother, Lore, um, are presented on screen by using a kind of scratching, what we call a, a, a scratching on film technique. This is a technique that uh, most people associate with the experimental filmmaker Stan Brakhage, who would often, um, when he would make films, he would use his sort of scratched name as a kind of signature on each of his works. But what Friedrich does, and this is a technique she uses not only in this film but in other films, is scratches uh, the questions that she asks her mother. Uh, directly onto onto the film, so we see those uh, questions being presented on screen, and then we hear her mother's responses uh, to those questions, which are shared via a voiceover. Now, interestingly, you know, you would think that uh, when the mother when her mother is answering these questions, that we would see her responding. But what Friedrich chooses to do is to use Super 8 footage, uh, super, in Super 8 filmmaking, um, often being shot without any kind of uh, soundtrack. Um, as well as footage of um, we, there's archival footage of World War II, you know, particularly kind of in, uh, aligning with some of the um, stories about you know her mother's youth. Um, there are home movies of uh, their family uh, from when Sue Friedrich was a was a young girl, um, and then there's uh, footage shot more contempor- more in, in a more contemporary moment where she's filming. Uh, Sue Friedrich is filming footage of various television broadcasts. So among that, and there, there's other footage included as well. Um, some of it, um, some of it, she's creating herself. Some of it would be what we what we would classify as found footage, um, kind of different pieces of film that she kind of uh, takes from other sources and incorporates into this. Um, but none of this, um, none of this footage is actually synced up with the soundtrack. So we have these things that seem that we might see as we might experience as being at odds with each other. We have to sort of process the content of what's being presented to us on the soundtrack and then um, and then think about 
kind of what's being presented to us visually. Sometimes those things might seem to be in alignment, but often they're um, they're presenting very different perspectives. And part of it is, I think, Friedrich's technique, which is something she explores over several films, of how you can open up film language by not necessarily relying on that on, on that notion of synchronicity. Um, but amidst all of this, you know, all of this formal experimentation, which is which is really fascinating to to experience, is a very deeply personal account of uh, Friedrich's attempts to reconcile uh, uh, what she has come to understand about her mother's life, uh, particularly the fact that her mother lived in Germany during the war. Um, is there are there questions about you know her being complicit in? Uh, you know, some of the actions of the Nazis, which, you know, of course, are well documented as some of the you know, worst atrocities in world history. Um, but this is um, this is, uh, Friedrich's films often kind of delve into these very, very personal questions. So if we you know, kind of distinguish between you know, her work from uh, Trin Minha's work is that she does tend to be much more personal in terms of her emphasis um, in Sink or Swim, which is which comes a few years later. She shifts her attention to her father um, and the very difficult relationship she had with him, in part because her parents divorced um, when she was fairly young, and that caused a lot of uh, tension and trauma within uh, within her family. So, um, but by you know focusing on her mother's experience, she not only opens up these questions about history, but also kind of her personal perspective as a filmmaker. Um, so. You know, when we think about Friedrich relative to Trin Minha, she's you know Friedrich is much more firmly established as a practitioner, whereas you know Trin Minha comes at things much more from a theorist perspective. There's uh, in in Trin Minha's work, there's much there's more of this deconstruction of the medium, uh, whether it's you know thinking about um, how subjects are perceived within films or how viewers uh, engage with subjects. Um, and that's something that she continues throughout uh, throughout her uh, career. Her later film, surname Viet, given name Nam, is arguably the most personal because it reflects on Vietnamese identity, uh, but it does so in a way that um, kind of fractures the notion of of identity because she presents accounts uh, that are that are uh, relate that are uh, presented through women who've uh, migrated to the U.S. But then accounts that are uh, contemporary for women still living in Vietnam that are actually being performed by women who are in the U.S. In some ways, it kind of uh, shares a similar strategy to what we talked about with Jill Godmalow in the way that she recreates uh, kind of testimonies of figures in Poland uh, in the early 1980s in her film Far From Poland. Uh, but but Friedrich is very much you know established as a as a real practitioner, uh, a true practitioner of film. That's not to say she doesn't have sort of theoretical concerns or, you know, that she's not, uh, that she doesn't, she has written about film as well, uh, not to the extent of Trin Minha, but her website notes that um, on all but one of her films, Sue Friedrich served as the writer, director, cinematographer, sound recordist, and editor. Um, so she's taking on a lot of different roles. Um, in addition to the sort of family dynamics that come up in Friedrich's work, she also um, reflects on her identity as an out lesbian. She um, she addresses queer identity throughout her throughout her career. The film that I mentioned is one of my favorites, Rules of the Road, chronicles a past relationship that she had with another woman, and there uh, she kind of shared ownership of a car in New York City, and so to to uh, 
capture that. She shows images of cars parked throughout New York, um, you know, sort of mid-'80s models and uses um, various pieces of pop music um, to, uh, to kind of capture the emotional uh, qualities of the relationship, which is probably why the film doesn't get screened very much because I wonder if there are some, some rights issues with the music. But um, she, um, she's, she, she offers some really fascinating uh, modes of filmmaking that kind of think about, uh, think about film language, not necessarily in a way that deconstructs the language, but opens up, opens up some interesting new possibilities. So as we're seeing, I think with these two films, and as we're seeing this, you know, this series develop, um, what we're noticing now is, you know, we're moving kind of past the question of what the, you know, documentary as as as, as kind of a problem as we've considered it, to uh, considering new ways of of perceiving documentary, and those new ways are often framed through perspectives that haven't really been given the opportunity to be heard, um, whether it's the case of women filmmakers or international filmmakers, queer filmmakers. Um, we're seeing, you know, just this uh, uh, new possibilities that, that are considered when, um, when, we, when, when the constraints of, of uh, you know, documentary language are kind of set aside and filmmakers uh, do something that's very kind of true to their own vision. And I think in the case of both of these films, um, we see some really, really compelling examples. So, so that covers um, reassemblage and uh, the ties that bind. We will continue our series next week with more examples of documentary factor fiction.